You're listening to the Curious About Cannabis podcast. Hey everybody, before we start this episode, I wanted to just give a brief introduction and a little disclaimer. In this episode, I caught up with endocannabinoid system researcher and passionate cannabis science educator, Miyabi Shields. Many of you have been asking me to make this conversation happen for a long time, and I've been wanting to connect with Miyabi for a really long time, so I was really excited. This was our first time to have the chance to meet, so the conversation that you're going to hear is a very raw capture. Miyabi and I have a variety of things in common, including our struggles with mental health. The topics that we're going to be discussing today may be a little triggering or uncomfortable for some listeners, especially for those who have experienced or may be currently experiencing any mental health issues or suicidal ideation. I also want to remind you that this podcast is not a substitute for professional medical advice. If you or someone you know is struggling with mental health issues or experiencing thoughts of suicide, please seek help from a licensed healthcare professional. There are also resources available such as hotlines and crisis support centers that you can reach out to for immediate assistance. And if you're having thoughts of suicide, in the United States you can dial 988 and reach someone who can help. If you're in Canada, you can call 1-833-456-4566. If you're in Mexico, you can call 5255-102-550. And if you're in the UK, you can call 112 or 0800-689-5652. And of course, there are suicide hotlines all over the world in different countries. I just hit some of the main ones representing some of the most popular countries that represent our audience. But if you're in another country, you can visit blog.opencounseling.com slash suicide dash hotlines and get a full list of suicide hotlines and crisis center hotlines for your location. I hope that this episode is going to provide some valuable insights for you and support for those who are struggling with mental health issues that are similar to the ones that we discussed that we're dealing with. However, please note that the opinions and the experiences shared in this podcast episode and all podcast episodes are specific to the individual guests and should not be taken as universal advice for anyone else. Thank you for listening, and take care of yourself, and take care of those around you as well. Curious About Cannabis is dedicated to providing reliable cannabis science education to anyone curious enough to learn. To get access to free courses and other educational resources, visit learn.cacpodcast.com and become a Curious About Cannabis member for free. The Curious About Cannabis book provides an incredible crash course in cannabis science through over 500 pages of content filled with photos, activities, science experiments, games, and more to help guide you through your personalized cannabis education journey. This book has become a trusted textbook in colleges and universities across North America and is absolutely perfect for serious learners as well as cannabis educators, bud tenders, clinicians, patients, and caregivers. 
and special thanks to the many individuals, companies, and organizations that have helped Curious About Cannabis meet our mission of becoming the number one trusted source of cannabis science education on the planet. This includes organizations like Credo Science with Ethan Russo, The Conigma, Treadwell Farms, The Spellman Report with Kevin Spellman, The Workshop, Green Earth Medicinals, CBD National, Magnolia Botanicals, and more. Visit cacpodcast.com slash sponsors to learn about our sponsors and go show them some love for helping us spread cannabis science education far and wide to anyone curious enough to learn. If you like Curious About Cannabis, consider checking out some of these other learning initiatives by Natural Learning Enterprises. and unyielding, grounding, yet transcendent. It's a curious thing. Let's explore it together. Isn't Life Curious? Available at isn'tlifecurious.com or wherever you experience podcasts. And now, back to the show. A lot of scientists are very neurodivergent. Like, a lot of people in academia, it's like a safe harbor for a very specific type of obsession. I mean, you have to be yeah. obsessed with something to do your PhD in it. Like, you you have to be, like, it's yeah. not just passion. I mean, people use it's, the word passion, but it's like, you know, more than that. It comes across as crazy to, yeah. to other people. Like, because... Uh, <laughs> Because if you're not, if you don't have that ability to get so sucked into a topic that you really like literally obsess over it, it'll, I mean, it'll destroy you because it requires so much work. Yeah. Um, Like your quality of life is too low to make it worth it unless you're obsessed with it. Because also PSA, like for most scientists, like our quality of life all the way past getting your PhD into, if you do a postdoc into after that, like your quality of life is is really not good and it's during a portion of life when it's like this critical for most people it's this critical part it's a giant swath right for me it was five and a half years the five and a half years between 22 and 27 and a half you know like like 28 like it was a big and i like I, I could think back of things that I would do differently. Part of me thinks I wouldn't have just gone straight into my PhD because I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I really wasn't, I really didn't think about that enough. Like completely honest. Like I was just like, Oh, this like makes so much sense. And it's like incredible. And I love yeah. research. I, I got, I got bit by the research bug, like so hard. One of my, <laughs> one of my professors at UC Davis, uh, I don't know if he's still around. Dr. Larry Morand uh, taught, um, biochemistry, like the lab portion of biochemistry. Mm-hmm. And I was just in his class. I took his class the same time that I started doing research as an undergrad. So it was kind of like an interesting tangential thing where like I was in the class learning yeah. about all the different types of research. And then I was in the lab starting to do very specifically like drug discovery, like mouse model, rat model, monkey, mm-hmm. like animal, animal model research. Um, and 
he I remember at one point we were meeting up and he he after after the lab and he like shook his head at me and he was like oh he's like you got bit by the lab bug like you he's like I can he's like I can tell yeah, there's, there's not going to be any satiating <laughs> like that and what 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 years were you at UC Davis uh 2008 to 2012 wow so there was a period of time um, so I almost went to UC Davis um, for my graduate work. Um, that would have been around 2012 or so. Uh, we almost overlapped. I ended up going to Southern Oregon instead, but I was like honing in on Northern California, Southern Oregon, trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And I visited UC Davis. I actually visited campus while you were there. So oh my gosh, funny. how strange um, is it that we might have like been overlap it we <laughs> like, almost worked together. right or like yeah we we almost well i mean i guess together. what what depending on what program and like if you went around and did tours and stuff i was always in briggs like i was just always in either there were actually there was one other one but the main lab was in briggs we were in the basement and like for some reason yeah. i always worked in basements <laughs> that's that seems to be how it goes uh that's been my experience too <laughs> like even when i was a botanist like doing native plant research and stuff and you kind of get the sense of like Oh, you're working with plants, and you're probably in, a, you know, in an herbarium, and it's open and bright. No, I was in a like sheltered, like windowless, uh, you know, lab. <laughs> it just felt like I was in a dungeon the whole time. Um, so I'm not sure if they yeah, redid it, but we used to have one brick that sat by the that sat by the window, and it said "fire exit," and it was just on the brick. <laughs> like, but um. I, I did learn during my PhD that the basement is one of the most stable places for instrumentation mm -hmm. that require, yeah. like, so then I was like, okay, that actually, that's a good reason because these instruments are, Makes more sense. they're really, really sensitive. And then mm -hmm. when I was getting my PhD, we were right by um, the orange line. Like our lab was right next to the, the train. Mm -hmm. um, so you could like see it in the instrumentation when the orange line went. Yeah, above. yeah. And it was different from the commuter rail because it goes faster and is like smoother. So and anyways, it's like uh It's like our retention times are shifting, yeah. the train's going. Yeah, by. no, it was the NM, it was the NMR <laughs> machines that could detect it. Like it was just like it was like, okay, time your NMR experiment. <laughs> but actually yeah, I, right. um if I'm remembering correctly, one of the scientists in the biophysics lab actually learned how to calibrate for it because it was exactly the same every single time. Um because it, yeah, it was yeah. electrical, so it was like the NMRs are magnetic, right? Mm -hmm. So it was like a disturbance yeah. in the electrical signal. And he was just able to like take it out because it was it, it was it out, exactly yeah. the same every single time, which I thought was just, you know, sometimes I think science well, just like that's what I get about science. I love I love talking to other scientists too because you get it. Well, and it's like yeah, it was something like that. It's like okay, this thing is a disturbance, but at least it's precise. Yeah. <laughs> and if it's precise, then we can do something about yeah, it. Yeah, my brain um. my brain likes things that are repeatable. <laughs> I don't know. That's part yeah. of me that's definitely yeah. on the spectrum is like, yeah, I like that routine. If it's just exactly the same over and over and over again. Um, yep. That, that predictability and count. Yeah. On Davis was a gem. I haven't been back since like, but it, it's a great yeah. campus. I mean, I really wanted to go there. It's beautiful. It's, I mean, most of, I mean, like the Pacific Northwest just in general is like, idyllic sort yeah. of like in, in so many ways yeah. like but in terms of like what i miss the most about davis actually it's this food it's this food stand called pedrick's that wasn't even in davis it was just just outside of davis like 
if you were going from Davis on the way over to San Francisco, like just outside of Davis, there was this like food mm-hmm, market. Yeah. And I mean, the first time that I came to Boston and I, I, one of my friends was like, oh, do you want to make a spaghetti squash for dinner? And I was like, you know, I haven't seen a spaghetti squash since I moved here. So she was like, what are you talking about? Like, let's go to the grocery store. There's like, a, there's like a hundred spaghetti squash, right? So we go to the grocery store and the spaghetti squash is like this big, like this big. And I was like, oh my gosh, I had no idea that was a spaghetti squash since like I'm used to them being like this. Yeah, like tremendous. <laughs> Just like, I miss, yeah, I miss the produce. Like that was like probably one of the things that like, I miss the most. I guess I'd say I was I miss the weather, but I don't. I like the seasons. Like, uh, yeah, 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 for sure. I, I dig that too. Um, I, you know, I just moved from Oregon back to my home state of Mississippi, which has been crazy culture shock city. Um, but um, it it's I don't know. It's weird. Like when I when I left this area, I was looking forward to. I don't know what I was looking forward to, just something different being on the West Coast and everything. But now being back, I definitely appreciate the weather totally differently, um, especially rain. <laughs> uh, because where I was, you know, and I mean, UC Davis is, yeah, the latitudes are up there. I mean, yeah, you definitely um, have a new appreciation for just water in, in general. Um, yeah, as a scarcity. But that's <laughs> like... Yeah, 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 exactly. I mean, it's, it's, it's strange um, when you don't have to think about it and then... And then you do, um, and the wildfires were one of the things that kind of drove us away from the West because we were living in Medford at the time in Oregon, and Phoenix and Talent, the two towns south of us, um, got hit by the 2020 Almeda fire, oh. and we're like, that's a, that's a little too close. We're going to get somewhere where there's a little more water around. Yeah, Ugh, it gives me chills because it's like not, it's, yeah. I, I don't know, we, we probably shouldn't go down the like negative pathway of like how it's clear that climate change is occurring and like, cause my family still lives in Southern California and the yeah, weather there yeah. has been nuts even recently, you know, but I, Oh yeah. I, Super weird. But yeah. the earth is a living thing. I mean, like if you zoom out on the earth, mm-hmm. like I think it's really cool. Like how, when you zoom out on things, sometimes it looks the same as when you mm-hmm. zoom in, you know, like, right, right. Fractal. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The microscopic, the like microscopic atomic level interaction, like the geometry of things, like, they're replicated yep. also like when you zoom out like how you, if you're in an airplane and you look down a river like it'll look like a blood vessel or van, you know it has like yeah. very yep. and um, or like in the desert and then it like cracks like all the like sand will crack into these you know patterns mm-hmm. that look pretty reminiscent yep. to like a cell like a cell like a layer of cells on the surface of like a potato like you know absolutely absolutely yeah and and sort of the the opposite of that too like when you zoom in like one thing i think about because my early scientific training was focused on ecology and biology before i got into like analytical chemistry and that sort of thing so um one thing i always my brain is always thinking about things in ecological terms um and so when i started studying molecular biology um i was like oh my gosh you can see like these interconnected systems and these kind of ecologies you know around um, different parts of tissues in the body and everything like that. You know, it's all, it's all these, these systems, all systems that are interconnected and influencing each other. And definitely in that way, like the earth is, um, you know, this series of interconnected systems that include everything, um, below. 
between me and you and everyone else. Um, and so I, I definitely like that too, that, that kind of fractal way of um, appreciating how these systems operate. They do have these patterns. And Isaac Asimov wrote, wrote about it a lot back in the day. Um, it's kind of like his foundation series. The foundation series, series. yeah, sort of, <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's they were a... like this idea of like... <laughs> I haven't read... Oh yeah, I don't meet many people that, that know what that is. That's one of my, that's one of my older, older, like, I don't know, like early high school reads or something like that. Like, mm-hmm. I haven't read that's that since... a really good one. I mean, it's a big series now, but um, I think they were making it... Maybe they did. I lose track of media these days, but I think they were working on a series, like a foundation... <laughs> series that was supposed to come out fairly recently oh that would be cool um, some of the sci-fi stuff it's crazy how close we are to having it now <laughs> like you know yeah. you're like oh yeah. wow that used to be something that we thought of in the future but now we're like i mean we're video conferencing right now that was in one of the back to the yeah. futures right i think it was in right i think exactly. it was back well, to the future and, you know so or one yes yes um when he goes into well yeah one example when he goes into the cafe and you know there's like ai systems to like order your food and drink from and i went somewhere not too long ago and the drive through was completely um you know uh not operated by human it wasn't totally ai but you know it was completely computer operated um and it it surprised me um and something that, you know we connected um a while back when we were chatting on Instagram or, or email, we were talking about Aldous Huxley. And, um, you know, I think that's, you know, his works are a great example of looking at how close we're coming um, to, you know, some of the futuristic predictions that have been made in the past. Because, um, you know, uh, it's, we're getting, you know, we're just inching closer and closer to these, you know, like experience machines that, Huxley and others have have talked about in the past as sort of like philosophical thought experiments um, are getting really close, um, among other things. Ooh, it is, is like, it gives me the chills bizarre. a little bit because on one hand, it's like, so on one hand, I'm a total tech nerd. Like my dad's a computer engineer. Right, too, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like I, I have this weird, I feel like it's a, almost like a dissonance between like how much I do love technology and I think it's so cool and fascinating. And Mm -hmm. like, um, one of the really cool sci-fis that I read recently from a friend's recommendation was, uh, I think it's called the three body problem. And, um, Mm. it, anyways, it kind of goes into like this really interesting metaphor about computation and like computers. Cause I don't really understand computers like that. Well, I'm just like nerdy about the, the idea of them and like the electricity and it's, also, like, because electricity, like, our brain is electrical signaling. Like, right. that's how we yep. signal as well. So it's, you know, there's this really interesting thing going on with how advanced we're making all of, like, our technology. And, Absolutely. yeah, I just have, like, a weird uh, disconnect between these two things that I love. Because, like, I do love nature. And I have, like, personal ties to nature from when I was a child, when I was younger, through my grandma. But then, like... Mm-hmm. I, but then like kind of almost like a disconnect where I was like completely disconnected from it for a little while. And I kind of like, it's ironic because like, you know, in, in Huxley's brave new world, Soma is the drug that's almost like, it's almost like satire. It's almost like a satire, right? Like, like, Mm -hmm. like Soma, like mindlessness basically. Like, and why would you ever like, you know, try to achieve that? And so I think it's like, 
I, I don't know, I have this weird thing about how then when I went to get my PhD in pharmaceutical sciences, like the reason why I went into pharmaceuticals was a part of it was that I was encouraged to talk to scientists at UC Davis that were doing secondary metabolite mm -hmm. research. And I was telling them like, hey, I really want to research molecular mechanism. Like, that's what I want to do. I want to look at like um, the structures of like receptors and enzymes and like the actual things that interact with these molecules. And pretty much everyone said, if you want to do a lot of that level of research, you need a lot of funding, which means that you probably need to be in mm -hmm. pharmaceuticals, not in like plant, like natural, like I've gotten that talk too. <laughs> and it's, yeah. it's really frustrating, but like we, I mean, we were talking about it just yeah. before we jumped on here and recorded, but like that's kind of a disconnect that people don't realize is that like how expensive certain levels of research are and the limiting factors that go into mm -hmm. us doing research, let alone if we want to research cannabis, right? <laughs> or like, you know, yes. there's, there's all these additional barriers and loopholes and then you know, the culture of then like your work-life balance and, you know. So many, so many elements. And I, you know, I think a lot of the public have a, an impression that scientists have a lot more control over their research than they, than they do because, you know, sometimes a study will come out and some of the immediate critiques will be like, well, why'd you do it this way? Or why, um, you know, there'll be a million questions about um, all the wrong ways that something was um, executed or designed, um, which is okay because we should be critical of studies that come out. Um, but I think lay people often don't understand that a lot of those decisions get made for you uh, based on the resources you have at hand. Like a lot of times we're producing papers and data out of projects and things that are going on and it's relatively opportunistic. Like you have some things that you're trying to study, but sometimes in order to study those things, you've got to do things that are kind of lateral or, you know, adjacent to that thing and kind of scrape as much information as you can to put together a paper that is worth publishing and, and will make it through peer review and everything. But it's it's not as simple as like, okay, I've got unlimited resources. I'm going to do the perfect study. This is the question we're going to ask, and we're going to control all these variables and, you know, do the perfect statistical analysis and, and come out the other side. Like, it really just doesn't often, you know, unless you're extremely fortunate, it just doesn't ever happen that way. Yeah. And then, like, when it comes to cannabis research and when it comes, so when it comes to anything that has, like, a stigmatization with it, like it does, like, we mm -hmm. have to write about it in a certain way, right? I think I used the word yes, cannabis. Yeah, I, yeah. So like, I, I'm pretty sure I used the word cannabis like once in the entirety of my whole thesis, right? Like I could only <laughs> reference it in that very first sentence of the introduction of the endocannabinoid system, best known as the system in the brain that interacts with cannabis. <laughs> and that then yeah. the rest of the entire thesis has to do with this like extrapolation of how we can do pharmaceuticals in the endocannabinoid system mm -hmm. by targeting these targets. And even though all of the information that was found directly applies to cannabis and can be directly applied to cannabis, right. it's an extrapolation, yeah. mm -hmm. definitely. There's all these variables and like what you were saying about it just being like imperfect and trying to control so many things. Like 
that is a piece of where natural products will always have a really difficult, yeah. a, a really difficult time. Like how you, because controlling life, like you can't, everyone who has ever tried to control <laughs> life knows that it's not happening. Like, <laughs> Just look at Jurassic Park. I mean, life will find a way. <laughs> I, th I think it's like, it's incredible that life has that um, resilience and that like, that like yeah, it's all of this like I mean evolution evolutionary like pressures that are so subtle that we don't even realize them but we just are we're trying to stay alive everything else that's alive is trying to stay alive and the complexity of it all is just I mean it's mind-blowing and the complexity of like us let alone the complexity of the plant and then what happens and I think that like all that yeah story. it seems like um i it seems like to me also another thing that is missing at least or that hasn't been you know fully able to be integrated into this side of this like science and medicine it, it's there there's research there but you know there's unquantifiable spiritual and other <laughs> other metrics of experience that have to do with healing they have to do with health they have to do with your mental and physical state and your well-being yep. in ways that we just they are unquantifiable like, which just yeah. means we can't measure them. <laughs> and like consciousness research, you know, we talk about cannabis research being taboo. I mean, goodness, consciousness research um, has been taboo for the longest time and still is, you know, in terms of even uh, trying to get funding to look at how belief systems and uh, worldviews and spiritual beliefs and practices and all of those things how they influence physiology, which we know they do. Like there is already clear yeah. evidence that they do. Um, but um, that's another area that, is, you know, it's just interestingly taboo in the science space. If you start to um, discuss some of these things in certain crowds, people's eyes glaze over or they roll their eyes and they think that you're, you know, Deepak Chopra or something and that you're going to start spewing quantum physics and, uh, metaphors and things like that. Um, and so it's, it can be challenging to even have these conversations, um, in a serious way. And I, you know, and, and they're conversations I love cause I think they're really important. And I think that it's, um, you know, we're going to look back on all of these years of medical advancements and things and be like, Oh my gosh, I, I can't believe we, excluded the idea of spirituality and, and belief systems and, um, you know, the inner environment, the mental environment, which you can't, yeah, like you said, you can't quantify. The only way you have access to it is through imaging, but then you still have to correlate imaging to thoughts, ideas, perceptions, et cetera. And the only way to get there is for someone to communicate to you what they're experiencing and what they're feeling. And a lot of times people are not that good at communicating their inner experience. Yeah, the, it's um, like you can't, you can do some research. on. Like we do know that, um, that the brain controls things just like, I mean, there's tons of also in the negative, there's tons of symptoms and like mm -hmm. idiosympathic like problems that people yeah. have that are arising from the brain. And then like the question is, what is real? What is reality? Yeah. And I know that like people's eyes glaze over to like, oh, you're the person who lives, you think we live in a simulation. And it's like, well, what is a simulation? Like explain to me, like, right. yeah. like, because the brain. Exactly. Like let's define our terms. <laughs> because first. the, the yeah. brain interprets everything and everything's interpreted yep. through the brain. So like. And that's, that's the only place you live. Right. Like, that's... I, I think 
Yeah. Part of like why I like part of my journey with this had to do with like I've had chronic pain for a really long time. I was a former athlete mm-hmm. in college, and so I have a lot of injuries. And I've been in like physical therapy, chiropractic, and like all sorts of stuff. I like they were thinking that I should get surgery when I was younger, but I really wanted to play in college, so I was like, no, like I'm gonna just, you yeah. know. Golly, we have some similar backgrounds. It's oh, yeah, because it, it sucks. You have, like, all this. No no, no one tells you that, yeah. like, when you're young and then, like, you're just, ab- like, mm-hmm. I was just, I was just, like, abusing my body, like, you know, yeah. like, torn meniscus, like, torn rotator cuff, torn labrum, like, just, like. You assume you'll heal up. Yeah, rotated, rotated part of my lower back. Like, I mean, I played water polo, so it was also, like, a. It was oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Definitely just mm-hmm. that type. It's a full, you know, full contact sport. And I was kind of a brute, to yep. be honest. Like, I mean, I'm five foot two and I played water polo. So, like, I'm just saying, like, I don't know. You got, I got to stand up for, <laughs> got to be. stand yeah. up for myself. Um, <laughs> sorry if anyone's watching this who I used to play against. But, um, you know, I, it's like I moved here. So then I spent some time, like my chronic pain got a lot worse when I stopped playing water polo because I stopped having physical therapists and I stopped having Mm -hmm. chiropractors and I stopped having, um, I even stopped like working out. Like, so I I moved to Boston and I was like, Oh, it's cold here also. Like what should I do? Mm -hmm. And I just, I, I mean, I fell off of a bunch of things. Also my like diet, whatever, a lot of things changed, but my chronic pain got a ton worse. And I was seeing like some doctors and like a lot of, the, I mean, people, uh, some doctors, I'm not, I'm not going to say all doctors, but like some doctors, if they hear about my medical history, they like are ready to just like bust out the scalpels. Right. It's like, yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. oh, let's get a whole plan together. You have chronic pain and you have like, injury. and then, so you get the scans mm-hmm. and then they tell you like, whatever. So then, you know, I did an experiment where I went to a couple places and I didn't tell them about my history. <laughs> Where I just like didn't tell yeah. them anything, and like my scans came back totally clean uh, in terms of like what they were able to physically see. Uh, <laughs> oh, wow! And I mean, I'm oh, not a doctor. I'm not a medical professional, right? I'm a scientist. Yeah. So like, yeah. I've seen the scans, but like I, um, so since then, I really started thinking more. I've, and I've seen like some movement specialists and like acupuncturists and like other. T- I mean. I still have chronic pain. It's a definite, it's definitely about just managing it. And mm-hmm. the question is whether, and I've had some doctors say some fear tactic-y things to me too, like where, like to try to get me mm-hmm. under the knife, you know, to be like, oh, yeah. well, if you don't do this now, you're gonna have to do it when you're older and it's going to be so much worse, which I, I still think it might be possible, I suppose. But like, I really don't want to have shoulder surgery, knee surgery and lower back surgery at the age of 33. Like I really... I I don't want that. I like to swim. I like to hike. I like to bike. And like, am I in like forms of chronic pain? Like, yes. But does it like affect whether or not I can or can't do things? Not anymore. Well, and the surgeries can lead to other issues. I mean, I know like my father-in-law has had multiple back surgeries and things. Um, and he was one that was like, avoid surgery if you can. Because I've got some spinal cord injuries and been through the very similar thing. They're like, neurosurgery like we need to you know do this um luckily i did have a doctor who's like gosh you are incredibly young to consider surgery like maybe you should rethink that um but i've seen the effects where you know yeah you go get surgery and try to get something fixed but then if scar tissue develops or something you can have um you know recurrent chronic the same chronic pain come back or new pains resulting from you know, the, the injuries, all of that stimulus and everything that happens just in surgery. 
um, it's a it's a roll of the dice. Sometimes it goes really well for people, but sometimes it it does not. And then you're in a cycle of every seven to ten years having to get surgery, and that's not good. And either. then it's like so th- it's like the the contrast between like the way that that's pushed. I feel like in contrast mm-hmm. to like changing your diet and like act- and how about this? Even just the contrast of what is and isn't covered by our health insurance, like what we can and can't yeah. access. Like I have saved, I think I did the math, like it, cause I used to be on like a cocktail of psychopharmaceuticals at, at a some certain point of mm-hmm. my youth. And it was a mistake. And I mean, I try not to yeah. regret anything in life, but like, I would definitely never, Learn I would, yeah, it. I would definitely yeah. not do it again ever. And I would, if I could go back and not do it, I would. And who knows, like, if your brain was, I tend to, I tend to feel like the brain is very, like, mm-hmm. able to recover from everything, but I think that it's a forced optimism. Sometimes I think that trauma survivors have to have forced optimism or else we're just depressed. So I'm optimistic. Yeah, <laughs> like, yes. I, I can agree I, I'm that. totally optimistic about the brain's ability to recover, but I kind of have to be or else I'll be depressed, like... Uh, when I'm yes. not the alternative is not not worth <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah exactly yeah. or or like yeah. not not worth confronting but like not worth going there because it's a useless emotion that certainly leads exactly exactly it certainly leads to like you know very very negative uh yeah it's never going to lead you in a positive direction but it's definitely going to lead you yeah um and yeah, I've and I've place. saved my I've saved my health insurance companies all of the ones out there because I've had quite a few different ones but I save them thousands of dollars every month and I am paying for it out of my own pocket. <laughs> like, right. I mean, it's just crazy to think that none of, I mean, not that none of them, I don't know that for a fact, cause I'm not sure, but if there is like a health insurance company out there, that's willing to like include cannabis in there. And there was some sort of like reasonable situation because I guess it, I guess it depends, but like, I'm, I'm in the shopping around for like, I'll probably have to be paying for health insurance out of my pocket. Like, and well, I mean, I am right now, Mm -hmm. but like, I would pay more money every month for one that covered my cannabis because it, and like, because it would then, it would just come out in the wash. Right. Like, exactly. And like, it's, it's already saving them money. Also, like, it's been shown that in on like in general, people reduce their prescription use, like in general. So yeah. you know that it's saving them money there. And I think sometimes people get hung up on the idea that uh, there are negative effects to cannabis, right? Like there, it, it seems pretty right. clear yeah. there's cardiovascular, like there's cardiovascular um, effects that mean that you should be more aware of your like heart and mm-hmm. your heart health and lung health, right? If, especially if you smoke. Um, just so that you should be yeah. cognizant of it and aware of it because there's definitely effects there. So it seems, I mean, th- even that is, there's some levels of controversy, but there seems to be. Right. And there's lots yeah, of variables. There's yeah. so many variables, but there's, there seems to be a statistical, uh, like a- association at least with like mm-hmm. increased cardiac events and using cannabis yeah. products. Um, and I think that that is blown way out of proportion. I think that like that, yeah. that exists. And I'm aware that that exists, but I'm also aware that like too much intake of sugar is the thing that kills most exactly. of us. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. You've always got to compare it to other practical real life examples. And when you start to do that, it really, yeah, puts it in perspective. I know. And it's just, I mean, the amount of education, because even like us having this chat here right now, like it's, it's so difficult to actually convey without being one side or the other. Like I see 
so often that it's like one side or the other. It's like nothing could ever be wrong with cannabis or any natural product. Right. And that's yeah. also not true because yeah. like yeah. plants, if it's natural, it's good. That, that's not always true. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. they could be poisonous and like, and like anything in excess is, <laughs> is not good. And I, I have certainly seen people have negative relationships with cannabis. Like it, yes. it yeah. can happen. Um, it's not as likely as with other things, but it can happen. And yeah. so then it's so hard. It's about as likely as, as most other activities, behaviors that someone might like to engage in shopping, working out, eating, gambling, like all of those things have similar addiction rates Sex. Um, to cannabis, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, cannabis. Uh, so my wife is a mental health therapist is something we've talked about a lot, but the you know, the, the addiction rates for cannabis that are often quoted somewhere between eight to 10% or whatever, that is exactly the same rate as, a, as behavioral addictions, which are, you know, just very, very different beast altogether. Um, and I, I think that's important for people to always like have in mind, like, yeah, there is definitely a risk and that can definitely happen. It does happen to some people. And if you want to know how to think about it, think about it. Like, are you, are you, how concerned are you about developing um, other behavioral kinds of addictions? Because that's really what it is. That's fascinating. Also, we do have a ton in common because my wife is also, my wife's in like neurodiversity and uh, psychology. That's funny. It's like, but I think that makes sense though. That like, I mean, it it makes sense (laughs) because I feel like it's such a, it's so nice to be able to share some of your special interests with your significant other because there's like endless topics to be able to, to talk about it. I'm going to have to share that one with Lane because that is a really interesting way to put it, to compare, because can- I've been diagnosed with a cannabis use disorder by a psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't yeah, think he knew what he was talking yeah. about. I, I think he's, I mean, he's probably, really yeah. old. Yeah. I think he's probably dead. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not willing. I'm not wishing yes. that upon him. I'm just saying he was super old when I saw yeah, him. Yeah. And that was like, you know, a long time ago. He also told me like, I for sure wasn't gay. He was like, no. <laughs> he was like no he was like you're not he was like you're not gay I don't know I mean I had no idea he was he was just my psychiatrist you know what I mean like I didn't know what was going on what a I I'm sorry that you you had that that person as a as a mental yeah it was was, uh, uh, there's like multiple things wrong there that's I realize that now like it's like it's yeah you shouldn't have to you shouldn't even have to think about that though when you go to see somebody uh, and this is another thing that my wife and I talk about a lot is just how um, ill-equipped um, a lot of therapists are for both cannabis and LGBTQIA plus issues, because um, that's another thing that my wife you know, specializes in. And um, it's the amount of damage that a lot of psychiatrists and therapists have done to people um, over those two topics um, is amazing. And there's an overlap. We should do something together because yeah. <laughs> like that's... It's yeah, really yeah. interesting. Like I've always felt the way because my therapist right now, like who I love, shout out Sarah with an H, but like she is one of the only people. I was so nervous to even tell her what I did. Like I was yeah. so nervous to even like breach those conversations. Let alone then I was starting to be like, so I feel like it would benefit me if I was able to use cannabis because I do every day. So it's actually outside of the norm mm-hmm. for me to come to our sessions like completely stone cold sober like that's yeah, that's outside yeah. of my normal th- i'm like more anxious by it because my like i i don't know like yeah 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 and i think cannabis and therapy yeah, it's not your baseline really. yeah and cannabis and therapy is so undervalued like we talk a lot about psychedelic therapy but cannabis has been shown to have some like 
it, this is at high doses mm-hmm. and it's only one paper, but cannabis has been shown to induce uh, oceanic boundlessness or mysticism. Mm-hmm. And that's similar to the psychedelics. Yeah. And in a lot of ways, it is a more approachable and way easier mm-hmm. and more accessible thing that might be implemented during therapy. And yet I, I like haven't seen people. I've seen one group of people actually over here locally doing some like somatic body stuff with it that yeah. I think is just like really fascinating. I'm not sure if I'd want to do it since I think it appears like it induces you to like re go through some of like the body things. And then that's how you pro- process right, it. your body memory. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I'm, I think it's mm-hmm. fascinating. I'm, I, I think it's absolutely not everybody needs to, Right. I think it's fascinating. I don't know that I want to re-experience things in my body more than like I already have, but like, I I think it's like incredible when you look at cannabis and PTSD, when you look at cannabis and anxiety and Mm -hmm. cannabis and depression and, you know, like people like to point to all the studies that show that it makes things worse. But I mean, like you can also point to pharmaceutical research that that also is true. And so it's just this really complicated thing where you keep having people being like, no, don't use cannabis for mental health. But then, like, so many of us do. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. and... It's, it's, it's really challenging because, you know, one, it's like a taboo on top of a taboo on top of a taboo because just talking about your mental health is still not normalized. Um, and it's something I remember occasionally because I go through phases where I am super uh, hide from the world, don't share anything about my personal life, like totally disconnected, but then I'm like, ah, like I have to interact with the world because life and business and like, I can't just be a hermit. And then it's like, well, what do you share about your personal life and what's too much and what's too little? (laughs) And um, I go through a lot of mental health struggles myself. And so sometimes I will share those and then realize like now people are freaking out because they're not accustomed to like having a frank discussion about like, yeah, I, I had some suicidal ideation like a while back and like I feel comfortable talking about it um, and we should be able to talk about it. You know, those sorts of things. Um, it's, you know, it's it's tricky just talking about mental health. Um, and for me, I've been diagnosed with bipolar. Um, my wife and I go back and forth on like how accurate is that of a diagnosis because that's like a blanket diagnosis that a lot of therapists use for a lot of things. I think it's a diagnosis by default sometimes too. Like A lot of times it is. And especially if you're neurodivergent or like they don't know where to like box you in. Uh, Because I I had a therapist one time say, she's like, I don't know how much of your issues are like mental illness versus that your brain just works differently. Yeah. And And society isn't built to accommodate it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. so thus, like, yeah, you get depressed and have these yeah. issues and don't know how to, you know, respond. But yeah, so you have that taboo of just talking about mental health and talking about like behavioral spectra and identity spectra and all these things. And then you stack cannabis on top of it. Um, and then also how that ties into like we we're talking about before things like spirituality and consciousness discussions yeah, it really does get tough because it's it it makes a lot of people feel uncomfortable, um, and then there's those of us that have been forced to confront it. I think because of just our life circumstances and our place in the world that we do think about it a lot and we feel comfortable talking about it. But I I get reminded over and over again that actually most people are not there yet, um, which is tricky because then you're like, well, 
geez, I don't know what to say. <laughs> yeah. Like, or when it's like, you're, someone asked me how I am and I'm like, I don't know how to answer this question. <laughs> like, I'm, yeah. I deal with that a lot. <laughs> like, do you actually want to know? Cause I actually, well, I'm like an oversharer by default. So <laughs> yeah. like, well, I, okay. I'm also just, I don't want to like brush past this. Like, I'm really sorry that you were feeling that way. And I actually have been coming. I, I don't know if it was like at the same time even, but like, I was like not in a great place very recently. And, um, getting to the point where you have ideation and like, it also depends, like, this is just like a PSA so that for people who don't know and who haven't had that experience, there are all sorts of levels of escalation. Um, that's what they yes, call it yeah. in the neurodiversity world, but like, uh, like levels of escalation. And there's things called like antecedent behaviors. They're behaviors that come before mm-hmm. the other stuff. Um, and like, I-, I know a lot of my antecedents really, really well at this point. And I've had, mm-hmm. I mean, I've had quite a few, I've been struggling with this for a really long time. And I mean, for a really long time. And I think I'm a, it's something that is important to talk about and it's hard because we usually only tell Mm -hmm. stories of recovery like we usually only Mm -hmm. and and the reason for that is because when you're going through it you don't actually have you usually don't have it in you to share because you're you're yeah you're going through it and then on top of that it's also really hard to share some of the the darkest and saddest things without triggering someone else or like, you know, make, you don't want to make something, you don't want to make the environment more negative and focus on it. It's it's a hard balance Mm -hmm. to walk between admitting the reality, which is that it's, it's there and it happens and it's debilitating and it's not our fault either. It's something that is, it's not something that makes you less of a person. It's not something that makes you less good at what you do. In fact, many people who are, like many of the most brilliant people I've ever met in my life are the most disabled. And that's just, that's just something that I've found to be true from like when just, you know, all of it from doing my PhD and meeting other scientists all the way to when we worked Mm -hmm. for the nonprofit teaching music, neurodivergent adults, like there's this, there's just this balance there. And I think being honest about it and having community healing around that and about creating that community healing Mm -hmm. is something that still some people aren't ready for because they still view it as a, uh, they still view it as a personal flaw. Like they still, yes. Yeah. They still view it as like, if, if, if someone is listening to this right now and thinks that either one of us is a lesser scientist because of this, I'm just going to tell you that you're wrong because it doesn't make either one of us less able to do the things that we do, but it does give us a different experience and a different context around life. And like, and without even going into this, like, but yeah, the spiritual part of it and without going too deeply into that, it's this entirely different spectrum of emotions and experiences. Um, and, and like you said, when then you pile on cannabis on top of that, with that stigma, people will say that that's the reason why that happened, which everyone could argue about it as much as they want. I mean, like, so I started, I started smoking when I was 15 and statistically, Mm -hmm. I think that it's like people are like in the statistics of the scientific published literature, it is said that that meant that I was more likely to write to like have been depressed, experience mental health problems, et cetera, et cetera. But 
I mean, and this is just from me being in my own brain and having the experience of it in my own brain. Yeah. Yep. Did cannabis change my brain permanently? Yes, I think it absolutely did. I used it too heavily during that portion of my life that it was like, I didn't realize it was medical. Had I been more educated, maybe it would have been different. Mm -hmm. It absolutely changed my brain chemistry. Do I think that it changed my brain chemistry for the worse? No. Because I was literally yeah. self-injurious and suicidal beforehand. Yeah. And yeah. now I'm alive and happy and I'm and on this path of like this really long, this really long journey that will last forever, maybe even past this lifetime, right? Like this really long yes. yeah. sort of thing that's that's going on that was, you know, in part set in motion by cannabis. I mean, the first time that I ever smoked was the first time I ever was able to look another human in the eye and like Wow! Wow! You know, it was it was an incredible yeah. experience, and I I want us to be able to talk about mental health so much with cannabis because you know it's a significant. I think the top three reasons people use cannabis are sleep, pain, and anxiety. Like, and yeah, yeah all yeah. three of those are mental health things. Even like even yes. though anxiety is kind of the only clear cut one that yeah, but all three of those are, are are mental health things. Like, you're why can't you sleep? Yep. Like. And the impacts of not sleeping. Yes. Um, yeah. Like quality of sleep and yep. like night terrors and everything. And so cannabis is just, it's part of it. And oh, I, and we never talked about the therapist thing. I really do think like we'll have to have some sort of much longer follow-up conversation. Uh, maybe we should record that too because it'll yeah, be fun. Yeah. But I, I think it's, Absolutely, it's yeah. really, um, I would love to make something accessible for therapists because I've actually had the best relationship with therapists, but I've had the most difficult time finding one that I work with well yeah um but it's like they're the amount of education on drugs in general like all drugs like not just cannabis yeah, but like yeah. not just mm -hmm. cannabis but the the psychopharmaceuticals too like the the knowledge yeah. around yeah. those and then the the fear that then like if your clients can't talk to you about the drugs that they're using then that's not an honest relationship because like it's a yeah. it's a dangerous thing that we all should be able to talk to our mental health professionals about and our mental health professionals should know they should at least have the basic knowledge of which things don't mix well together. And like, you yeah, know, yeah. And, and not having that knowledge and, you know, it, it just in general being in the dark about, about those sorts of things, um, only either causes or perpetuates harm in some form or another. Um, and so by better understanding those things and by better understanding them, your perspective changes and, um, you know, and then how you think about someone's behavior changes, um, you know, all of those things influence each other. Um, and like you said, you know, cannabis, it's like when someone's using cannabis at a young age, it statistically tells you that there's a correlation that you know, some other things might happen later or whatever. And it's, yeah, it's one of these things of like, well, is that the case? Because, you know, are these things comorbid because um, people find effective self-soothing, self-medication, you know, through cannabis. And so, yeah, they tend, you know, cannabis use tends to happen early if they find it because it tends to treat things that they don't understand that they're dealing with, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Or is it, you know, the sort of old school way of thinking about it from, you know, when we grew up, um, you kind of the, the lessons taught is like, oh, you do drugs. Well, then that, you know, 
negatively impacts your development, makes you stupid, and then all these other negative consequences come later. Um, yeah, and we're finding now, like, it, you know, no, that's it's a much more complex situation than that. These things are comorbid for um, all sorts of different reasons, but it, it tends to relate to self-medication that, that people, you know, kids, um, they don't have a way of thinking about what they're experiencing. Um, and until they're about 23 or so, um, you know, there's all sorts of changes that can still continue to happen, uh, very substantial changes um, that can be very confusing and everything. So, you know, it's it's uh, like a chicken and the egg kind of thing. And, and cannabis does change the brain. It does influence all of these things. And I'm so glad you pointed out, like, the really the, the better question to ask is not does cannabis affect the brain? Like, duh, yes, yeah. it does. But is what is the overall uh, sort of utility of that change? Um, has it improved quality of life or made it worse? Um, and, and that's supposed to be how therapists think about cannabis use disorder. Um, technically, like when you look at the DSM and read it carefully, even though I have a lot of uh, issues with the DSM in, in general, but as it's written, you're supposed to take some of these things into account when you're dealing with a patient. Um, you know, if they're self-medicating and they're showing signs of tolerance and possible withdrawal if they stop and things like that, you're supposed to relatively ignore those things because it's like, well, yeah, if they're self-medicating, of course they experience those things. Of course, dose escalates. Of course, they have, you know, tolerance that happens and all of those sorts of things. However, a lot of therapists um, do kind of, you know, what you experienced where they're just like, oh, you use cannabis this much? Cannabis use disorder, boom. It's, it's <laughs> and, so blanket. Like, it's just like, oh, like you're a yeah. daily user. I think that's the, I think that's kind of yes, the key, yeah, the daily yeah. use thing. Like, oh, it's not just on the weekends. And it's like, no, because it's for my health. I don't want to only feel good on the weekends. Like... Exactly. Right. Like, yeah, my 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 uh, my mental health doesn't really care what day right. it is. Right. I actually need to produce more during the week than I do. Like, if anything, yeah. if anything, the weekends it's less important. Like, you know. Or, yes. Yeah. Exactly. But yeah. I wanted to say so, so. A word that I can't remember where I came across this, but oh, okay, yeah. Um, when I was in grad school, I met up and did an interview with another grad student that was at BU Medical, and she was doing her doctorate in like public poli or public health like systems and mm, um yeah. the okay. it was it she called it it was like synergism of shared vulnerabilities um that was mm. something that she was describing in terms of drug use trauma race socioeconomic status like this mm. like really complex picture of um what you know what it what can cause something to happen in someone's life that then causes something else to happen and the question of whether something is like the cause or the effect, or if there even is a cause and an effect for us. And I'm really glad you pointed out that there's like a fault in the DSM, because I think it's really important as scientists to communicate to people that the, the DSM is a mandatory, it's a mandatory categorization by symptoms of mental health stuff. Um, and it, it really is only in place because of our insurance system. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, I was going to say primarily in the U.S., oh, yeah. like other places have already ditched the DSM. Well, because it's actually the more we learn about neurodiversity, the less we are able to say that anyone fits in one category. And there's been a couple yeah, different yeah. papers that 
have come out in the last like year or two where they actually go through and they analyze the DSM. Like they analyze the diagnostic, mm -hmm. like the quality of the diagnostic criteria. And they basically find that there's a bunch of overlapping symptoms. There's no biological mm -hmm. relevance whatsoever that even the pharmaceuticals that we use to treat them, which overlap in a ton in a bunch of different classes, um, many of them, we don't know anything about molecular mechanism at all. I mean, we have, yes, we have yeah, ideas yeah. about it, but we don't know for sure. It's like, that's why I get such, a, I have a hard time when I never, people say, mm -hmm. oh, how much more research in cannabis? I had a politician to me, like a local city counselor say to me the other day, we need more research. Like we definitely need more research on it. And like, I think it's true. I will always say that we need more research because I'm a scientist but of course, I of don't course. actually believe we need more research. Like in terms of like whether or not right need more research for what? Right, like not to de not to determine that it's safe and effective. That's my yeah. like that's my opinion. Like it, we need more research to figure out the better and best methods, the best practices, the best formulations, yep. the right safeguard like the right safeguards to have in our community to reduce harm and maximize the therapeutic potential. But I don't think we need more research to just say hey. This is a great alternative, and in many ways, it's way less toxic than some of the other things that we push heavily as the first line. And yep. to me, that it doesn't make any sense. I looked it up because I was curious. Um, if you just go to PubMed and look up how many publications there are total, there's like 39,000 cannabis publications, like 35,000 mm -hmm. or something psychedelics publications and then only like 3,000 publications on Ambien, which is like arguably one of the most like popular sleeping medications out there, which by the way, can wake people up from comas and we don't know why. Like we don't, I mean, we could take a guess, but like it's, yeah. it's a, and I have like, you know, I have a personal bias, like I should disclose, right? I have medical trauma. Ambien was the first prescribed drug that I was ever given. And mm, yeah, okay. I, I certainly didn't respond well to that, but also I'm neurodivergent. Yeah, I don't, I don't respond well to ambient. Yeah, I don't sleep. So then I'm just tripping badly. Same. Like ba yep. in a bad yep. way. That's exactly uh, what happens to me. But yeah. we are weirdly similar. Wow. It's, unfor it's unfortunate that that wasn't like told to me. I don't know. I'm sure it was in the side effects like thing. I was right in the long list of side effects. I was like up in yeah. the middle of the night making all my roommates hot chocolate and trying to convince them that there was a footbridge between California and Hawaii and that I had walked it. Like, before. <laughs> everyone was like, I'm pretty sure that's not true. But then like, you know, the next day everyone was like, you were so certain though that you had walked from Southern California to Hawaii. Totally, you did it. Yeah. And I had zero memory. <laughs> Just like, you know, no memory of that whatsoever. And it's- That's one of the things that's really freaky about it is the amnesia after. Oh, totally. It got, I mean, it got really bad. I mean, it's, that's, that was the beginning of the, whatever, the beginning of all of it. And so when I started looking yeah. into, I, then I started looking into GABA. Like, I think it's fascinating that Ambien or Zolpidem, that's its drug name, um, or it's molecular name that it binds to the same site as the benzodiazepines. So that would be Ativan, like Clonopin, like Xanax, uh, Valium. So it binds to the same site, like the same spot, but it has a different effect, like because the shape is different. And that change is like mm -hmm. the difference between the effects of the benzodiazepines and, <laughs> and like that, that blew my mind. Like that was, yeah. that was like, oh, I have to go into structure activity relationship between like oh my god it was like yeah it's, it's just like a oh man it's like but that's the thing too especially being neurodivergent right like 
And like you were saying about the categories thing, like I try not to categorize. Like, if, I mean, the thing is, if I needed to have a diagnosis for some form of insurance, something, I'm sure I would go seek it mm-hmm. again. I've had like every diagnosis though. So it's kind of hard to, that's the, like, thing. Yeah, that's the it's, thing. it's kind of hard to be like, Oh, well, when I was younger, I was this and now I'm that. It's like, no, you know, I've always just been neurodivergent and depending on like the environment in your life and the different things that have been happening. And like for Mm -hmm. all of us, because of COVID and that, that happened, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's everything changes and all of us are going through this, you know, we are all products of our environment in so many ways. A lot of us have developed specific coping mechanisms to be able to function Mm -hmm independently in society, like masking and, you know, all sorts of like skills um, to be independent because the goal in at least the goal for most people in life is to be independent or, you know, to be able to exist in, I guess, in capitalism or in life and be able to have a a roof in this system, this game, whatever we want to call it. Yeah. I mean, society and it's, it's, it's the thing with the whole categorization is that it helps us to find community. It helps us to find, it helps us to find other people that can help us with um, similar things. Because like, I don't know if you like weighted blankets or like weight and like weighted vests and stuff, but like, Mm -hmm. I love them. Like there is a period of time um, where I was literally spending about 40%, like all, like every moment that I was asleep. And then from the moment that I got up, got dressed for work and got home, I was under like a 40 pound weighted blanket. Cause it was the only, Oh man, I wish I the had only one. thing. Yeah. That sounds amazing. I just get my daughter to lay. That's on top perfect. Of me. I'll say, or will, a, you, will you just come lay on top of me? Or a, a large while? dog. <laughs> <laughs> but yep. I, it's like things that, things that can help that I didn't know until I, you know, until I was yeah. connected to, uh, to my wife lane and to the neurodiversity community. Um, and to, the movement that's going on right now about talking about mental health in a very different context and that neurodiversity should be a really large over encompassing word. So I think that there's some confusion because a lot of people use the word neurodivergent as a, in place of autism. That's a, that's a really good point. Yeah. That's a really good clarification. to me. That's just, that's how I feel about it. And that's how other, I know that there's some Mm -hmm. other advocates that feel the same way, mostly because a lot of us have been diagnosed with more than one thing. So and and that we can mm-hmm. only speak from one experience and that like it's it's very difficult to see sometimes like I, especially working with community like working with communities and students and people and like magnificent people but working with people who have um difficulty with communication like i've i had times where i had difficulty with communication like when i was younger i displayed selective mutism like it's Mm -hmm. it's like it's very difficult and I remember what that feels like to not speak like and it so it's very difficult I think sometimes to I guess like uh look at one thing and say like oh like I I'm clearly autistic like uh, you know look at look at something like and especially especially because like for both of us and we're older you know I mean we're not old I think we're still Mm -hmm. like you know in the prime but like yeah yeah, I agree. <laughs> yeah but yeah. we're we're older so we don't so adults don't get services like you know mm-hmm. the the services are very yeah. focused on anyone under the age of 22 and so and so is diagnosis and i mean so is funding like when yep. when we were running our nonprofit, uh it's like 
getting the funding for adults was way more complicated than getting the funding for kids. We would be going to all of these like galas and whatever, you know, the stuff that you, you go to when you run a nonprofit and we would go there. And a lot of the presentations would be about how, you know, this percentage of kids, this percentage of kids will struggle with it for their entire lives. And I would always kind of be like, yeah, and the rest of their life is called adulthood. And it's, it's the majority of our life. (laughs) Actually, I mean, it's not the subjective majority that we experience in the brain, because I think that's also messed up, but the brain experiences most of its Mm -hmm. memories earlier on. Um, But like time wise, it's, you know, our adulthood is everything past 18 to 22 ish, depending on, you know, when, when you left the nest or when you, when it ended up happening. So it's just something that's like, it's such a complicated topic and cannabis I find to be a very neurodivergent community, which I love because I really Mm -hmm. only vibe with neurodivergent people. Like not, I've gotten in trouble. I've definitely gotten in trouble with this before too, where like, I will just like casually say to people that like, especially like, I don't know, because to me, it just seems like such a given, but like, if I get along with someone, Mm -hmm. it's highly likely they're neurodivergent. Like, because yeah. I just don't find neurotypical people that interesting. Like, I, like not, I don't, I feel bad. I'm not, I'm not actually, no, I don't have to feel bad saying that. I know that. exactly like, what you mean. I, it's yeah. when, you know what, no one, not everyone has to like everyone. So like, I'm really sorry if that's yeah. offensive to say, but like a lot of people don't like me. So that's, you know. No, I know like, exactly what you mean. Cause like from my experience, you know, there's like multiple levels of, of connection with, a, with people. There's sort of the superficial um uh, pleasantries and civility that we do just because we're kind of trained that we have to um which is very hard for people that um don't fit into that sort of uh quote unquote normal box because like for me something my wife stays on me about a lot is I tend to kind of be blunt and I want to say what I'm thinking and want to say what's true um but a lot of people don't actually want that. Um, and that's something like I really like going back to like when people ask you how you're doing, like if you ask me that, I'm going to tell you most likely I'm going to tell you how I'm doing, how I'm actually feeling. Um, and so, you know, I struggle with the the superficial layer and I I've gotten good at it to a degree because I'm a performer, like growing up, my dad was a preacher, which is a performance mm-hmm. Um, and I witnessed that and learned a lot from it. I was a musician. I was also in theater. I know how to perform. I know how to, um, how to act, um, social, even though I'm incredibly not social at all. And, um, but there's a big difference between those interactions and then like the, the deep, true, like really serious connections that you can have with a person where it's like, okay, we get each other like very quick and like understand where we're coming from. I don't feel like I have to second guess what I'm wanting to communicate and we're just able to to go. And that's just a very different human interaction. Um, and so that's kind of how I'm conceptualizing what you just said is that like, you know, those, the people, because I, I go through this too, the people that I find that are more, um, they don't have to be like me in the same way way but just that they understand um what it's like i guess to have that that experience of the world and just the brains just work differently and and a lot of it is the uh sort of doing away with the pleasantries like 
I don't it's know. The depth, um, it's the depth. That, that's been my experience. I feel like it's the depth yeah. of the conversation. Like, that, mm-hmm. like the really interesting talk, like, I mean, I, that's also, this is also definitely a neurodivergent thing, but like, I really am only interested in a few, in like a few things. <laughs> like, so if people are not that interested in like drugs in the brain or like social interaction mm-hmm. society and like that kind of like more abstract, like really abstract, what is reality type things like it's hard because I don't want to talk that long about how like I don't want to talk super long mm-hmm, about yeah. the weather um or you know other like and I I think I totally get like it's masking and I we again something in common I mm-hmm. like yes masking because um, yes. it's performance but masking is performance and like totally I'm a performer too yeah. like I mean my it was practice getting my videos to be the way they are and I did when I was mm-hmm. younger I did Broadway like broadway um style kind of like you know as a as a kid i was into it like for a little while and i'm still into it i really love musicals specifically my Mm -hmm. my wife refuses to go see les mis with me because every time we watch the movie i'm like singing under my (laughs) i can't stop i can't stop it (laughs) i i love it like i i love that i love miss saigon i love phantom like i'm all i'm like I love them all, and I. Oh man, you get along with my wife. Oh, I really have well. them all she's, memorized. <laughs> she's the ultimate musical, like. Oh, oh my, my gosh! gosh. Yeah. Which I've I've gotten into it from her, but like now I've been exposed to to so many a, a, of these musicals. But yeah, it's a big part of our lives too. Lots of singing. Oh, because the uh, the musicals. ballads in music, the emotion that I've, like ah, oh, the emotion mm-hmm. that goes into it, like so, like Lane and I, our original music, which. Um, Am I allowed to curse on here? Just so I could... Yeah, yeah, you're Okay, fine. so our yeah. original music has been described as fucked up folk. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and mostly because we write a lot about mental health and PTSD. And we mm-hmm. we write a lot about yeah. our past and because a lot of our music came from the beginning of us getting together and how difficult that was. Mm-hmm. But um, I draw a ton. I draw like a ton from like Broadway, a musical style, like ballad type, like... Because I think that music also has this different emotional connection. And um, I actually um, was doing an interview about creativity and music and cannabis. And I think that there's so much unexplored there too, that it's clear that it interacts, but I haven't seen actually like a single Mm -hmm. study that looked in. I've looked, I haven't looked very recently to see, but. They're not very good. Like the ones that have been done are not. I mean, and this is no disrespect to the researchers. Well, done, yeah, but they're not very good. Yeah, I mean, well, it's, it's hard. <laughs> I feel like it's hard to, it's so hard yeah. to do. Like, it, it would be an incredibly, yeah, it is. It'd be an incredibly difficult thing to even, like, again, with the unquantifiable, right? Like, when I, mm-hmm, exactly, like, I pretty yeah. much have never gotten on stage without cannabis. I don't, I don't think I've ever gone on stage without it. And I rarely practice without it, honestly, because I don't feel yeah. the same emotional connection to what I'm doing. Um, and that's just something that I struggle with in general is feeling connected to my body and just staying, staying grounded, yeah. staying like yep. in the present. Mm-hmm. Um, and these are things that like, I think they're all parts of cannabis that they're all parts of how cannabis can help in mental health. And a lot of them are ways that are, um, like what you were just saying about like, uh, having different interactions with people when you're not masking, when you're able to drop that and just mm-hmm. kind of like have a different interaction. I have found that cannabis helps me drop it because I am not in control yeah. of whether or not I'm masking all the time. Like, 
yeah. it's not something I turn on or off. It's am it's am I comfortable and relaxed around you or not? It's, an, it's like an ad. It's just an adaptation yeah. um, to to living in a in a social society like we do. Um, yeah, that's my experience too. Like you don't choose. It's it's a reflex. Yeah, it's and it's a safety thing. Like I was bullied as a kid, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm I'm actually very thankful that I was bullied pre-internet. Like. Oh my god. I know that that yes. seems I know that that seems weird to say, but I'm so grateful that the internet was not around when I was getting bullied because all I had to deal with was getting shoved up against things and stuff and like whatever. I mean, not, it's not ideal. Right. Things you have to deal with when you're at school or in front of people. But it wasn't whatever. this like gnawing yeah. thing that was on my phone, people not liking me and stuff and then saying mean stuff. Like kids are mean sometimes. It's like yeah. I mean, kids were mean when we were young too, but Anyways, I just I just feel like they their their power has has increased. Well, the anonymity of the internet is, I mean, you know, that's that's yeah. what's hard about creating. That is something that's difficult about creating content. And I mean, I'm really happy that we've been able to chat so much about mental health and cannabis because it's Me it's too. really complicated and really hard. And I I have a hard time talking about it honestly because, I mean, I I have a hard time navigating what like what you said about like navigating what is and isn't like the better thing to share that helps other people but that also is authentic and mm-hmm. isn't just like that yeah. isn't just like a fairy tale from disney where like i'm like you know about to sing a musical about how i'm always going to be healed with cannabis like it's you know that's not it's, yeah. it's not the way it is it's that cannabis is part of an entire lifestyle routine that even if it's done perfectly, it yes. might not always be enough. Like, cause life, cause yeah, life absolutely. happens, you know, life is, life is unexpected. Oh, and that's a, that's a great, there's a couple of points I wanted to highlight there. One, I think um, a lot of people have a, especially people that don't use cannabis have a misconception that cannabis detaches you from your emotions or uh, causes this emotional bluntness, which for some people it does. Um, you know, that is a thing that happens depending on your neurotype, which is a concept that doesn't get talked Mm -hmm. about enough, but, um, for myself and it sounds like for you and, and probably a lot of people that are kind of in a similar, um, you know, uh, sort of way is it can actually bring you into your emotions. And one thing that I definitely deal with in my brain, however you want to categorize me is. Uh, that dissociation, um, especially when I'm under a lot of stress. I actually, this was a big issue last year for me. Um, when I'm under a lot of stress, um, I dissociate entirely. Um, and, um, it gets, it gets really, really bad and cannabis can very quickly bring me back into myself, um, and reconnect and, and, better um feel and um so in this context of talking about cannabis for mental health i think it's important for people to understand that cannabis can have that effect because i i do think it's so often associated with um, with emotional blunting and that that just isn't always the case i mean i've had times where i've been totally dissociated i smoke i come back into myself and then i cry mm-hmm. because i'm like you know it's just like oh boom we finally you know <laughs> Are, are feeling and, and like whatever connections needed to be established to, you know, let the stuff through, um, have finally happened. Um, so I wanted to highlight that just because I think it's something people don't think about too much. And I think it is a common 
misconception around how cannabis affects the psyche and, and mental health that um, it's important for people like us that have experienced these things to talk about it and let people know, like, actually, it, it you know, it can have the opposite effect that you, you may assume um, it will have. Um, so I just think that's, that's kind of um, not necessarily intuitive for, for a lot of folks. Yeah, it, we're battling um, that. We're, we just are battling what has been the loudest stereotype, you know, for a yeah. while. And people see it as a crutch. Like people see yes. it yeah. as something that, and, and even if people accept it as medicine, it's a, I mean, it's a journey because it's complicated, but I totally agree with what you're saying. It's important to, it's important for people to know also that there's just all types of use there's, and that yeah. we should evolve. Mm -hmm. In my opinion, we should evolve our use, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a constant, um, you know, um, there's this concept of the like the self inventory that is really something that ideally you know it, it's kind of seasonal like um there are a lot of systems that have been developed that um revolve around this happening usually in the fall or winter um that there should always be time carved to self reflect understand your relationships not just with cannabis but all things you know just like your place in your world and trying to decide how you want to proceed intentionally and mindfully from that place. Um, and so I agree, like it, it's, a, it's a dynamic thing that's always changing. And, and as people, we're not static. Um, even though it can feel that way in the sense that like you mentioned, our, our childhood memories, our brain values those more, um, holds on to those more than our adult memories. Um, even though we live more of our life as adults um, than than kids. Um, and now I'm losing track of where I was going to go with that thought. I don't um, know where you're where you but, were going with that, but what it was making well, what it was making me think about was just how hard, like how we think about changing our behavior, right? And changing mm -hmm, yeah. like, that it, it appears so hard because of all of that, like subconscious really stuff. Like yeah, that yeah. Mm -hmm. um, our brain is acting a ton, a lot of time without our own activity. I mean, I think I try to bring this up too when I think about it, when someone has brought up to me. So um, my, my wife's family, some of them are in the South and I'm actually going mm -hmm. to South Carolina this weekend. Um, and oh, nice. yeah, okay. and I mean, you won't be too far. Oh, from cool. Me. I'm, I'm like, I had a really hard time to be honest. The first time that I went down there, I had a, I, yeah. I just had a really hard time because I grew up in Southern California. My grandma and I spent a significant amount of time in Hawaii where Japanese Americans are actually like the majority there. Um, yeah, yeah. and then I've lived in Boston, you know, since then now I'm in Salem, but I mean, whatever, it's like similar area I had a really difficult time um and I think that the narr like what's the word I'm even thinking about like with culture and like with like the indoctrined like subconscious like mm -hmm. underneath the uh, underneath the surface level things that happen there are it's 
when all of us have that going on and we're not conscious of it, then it's a problem. And I'm going to be completely honest and say that up until very recently, I have had a very negative association with a Southern accent. I have had that's normal. A very yeah. negative, like I have felt like it made me unsafe to hear someone speak with that mm-hmm. accent. And it was something that way more recently I've been trying to reframe and rethink about and understand. And I mean, thankfully, like to me, thankfully that it's something that's on my radar so that I can change it and so that I could think about it because it, it's yeah. something that's a prejudice. It was, I, I had... I, I do, yeah, yeah. I probably still have it a little bit, but I'm trying to get rid of it. But I have a, pre- I had or have a prejudice against people who have a Southern accent. And it was like based mm-hmm. upon some very niche interactions, which with only, uh, you know, it was the same type of stereotype that someone else would turn around and apply to me because I'm a person of color on the trans spectrum. You know, like it's that, it's a very yeah. similar thing. And, and bringing that to your awareness to change it is not like an easy task. It's not something that doesn't, it, it, it requires a tremendous amount of work and effort and self-reflection. Yeah, yeah. And like cannabis to me has opened the door. And from, from what I, from what I in general find in the cannabis community is that I feel like cannabis can be an entry point into that perspective shift that can allow yeah. us to have those conversations or have those thoughts and change our behaviors and change our perspective and, um, you know, shape our lives. Yeah, in, in, in some ways it kind of relates to the, the forgetfulness aspect, um, you know, and, and, and kind of how cannabis helps with PTSD and other things of, um, almost, uh, kind of tricking your brain to forget your prejudices for a while um to be in the moment and and have those interactions but i'll tell you like for me um i grew up masking my accent and i still do it um you know i was born and raised in central mississippi um about as deep in the south as you can get and um when i moved to oregon most people assumed i was from oregon and when I told them where I was from, I mean, this happened to be over and over and over again. They say, wow, you don't have a Southern accent at all. You sound like you're from here. And um, that's a learned adaptation from growing up in the South and not and being aware of that prejudice and not wanting it to happen to me, especially given the type of work that I wanted to do, wanting to get into science and education and um, and even though my sort of targets changed a little bit, I've always been in that, that world, like I'm going to be doing science in some way and teaching in some way, writing and, you know, and that sort of thing. And that's something I'm struggling with as a Southerner right now. Um, uh, because my, my brain has, it j- just like the, the other types of masking that we've talked about, I mask in other ways that I only recently became conscious of, and it relates to a sort of sense of shame that I have of where I'm from um, because of just knowing and seeing those prejudices in action. I was actually, um, I was in Florida recently um, working with a consulting client of mine and we were talking about this very issue, and I said, um, have you had, this is a person that knows a ton about 
growing cannabis. They've been growing cannabis most of their lives. Um, very, very skilled grower, but they live in the South. And they've traveled around doing projects and work in other places. And I asked him, I said, have you had experiences where people have thought you were stupid because of your accent? Because um, he has a very deep Southern draw. And, um, and he was like, yeah, absolutely. He said, yeah, you know. Um, and he, he started telling me all these stories of times when, um, you know, business deals would get compromised or people wouldn't take him seriously on a project um, uh, or would kind of like go over his head because they felt like he didn't know what he was talking about. Whereas if if he had just had a different accent or not said where he was from, they would have treated him like a, you know, a master grower or something, you know. Um, and it, it's just, uh, and I've, I haven't, the only way that I've dealt with that personally is when I tell people where I'm from and I can see it in their eyes that there's a number of things that change in their perception once they know that I'm from Mississippi. Um, and it's happened some too since I've moved back. And um, when I've set up meetings and stuff and they say, so you're out of Oregon, right? And I say, no, Mississippi. Um, the tone changes. Like you can just, you can feel it. Um, so it's interesting you bring this up because it's something I'm wrestling with actively in the moment. Yeah, I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry to... about that. Like, I think that they're that I think that it's like contrary and it's not to say that it's, it's not to say that it's like the same at all of other types of prejudice. Like, no, you know yeah. what I mean? It's just, it's some, it just is a type of it, prejudice. It is. Yeah. It totally is. And it's, I, I just brought it up because it's an example of one thing that I've been very consciously trying to change ever since I've met like some brilliant scientists who have Southern accents. Like, and yeah. It's not just it's not just about that. I mean, it's also about having family in the South and actually going there, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Before I before that, it was this really huge, unknown, unsafe, scary place where, you know, I still to this day like I want to do a cross country road trip, but my family's like, don't drive across America. Like you're not safe. Like you're not as safe as you think you are. You know. Uh, yeah, and yeah, that's the way yeah. that I was raised, and that's there's a good there's a good reason why they feel that way. I like, mm -hmm. but yeah. I think it's um, I think it's important to have all these conversations because like, and it's not mm -hmm. to overshadow or at, like any other like no. you know know. any other thing. It's just something that is happening everywhere, and it's okay. How about this? It's like I don't really get the inconsistency. Like, I don't understand when something matters one time and then it doesn't matter when it's that same thing somewhere yeah, yeah. else. I agree. Um, and so that's something that, like, I've struggled with with cannabis because coming from a pharmaceutical mm -hmm. background, like, I can't understand why, like, I, and I have a really difficult time when it's like, okay, so it's this way and then it's this way with cannabis, but it's this way with all of the other pharmaceuticals but yeah like yeah. and it, i think it's the same yeah. it's the same thing and like yeah and i think i i think originally we were talking about just trying to change that behavior and, and change it and i think it's undeniable to me that cannabis has the ability to help people see and like see through some other types of changes too and like i don't know it's just so good i i really love cannabis i've been i mean I've been loving it since like I was 15. I remember like one of my favorite yeah. songs when I was in high school is um, Cottonmouth Kings. 
And it's like, and the first line is like, (laughs) first line is like, I'm going to smoke weed for the rest of my life. (laughs) Like, you know, and it's like, I, I remember, you know, I, I just, I, I haven't, um, I remember thinking, I think at some point, like, like it was brought up to me at some point that I would probably change my mind about it. And I can't remember who Mm -hmm. said it. I wish I did. So I could like shoot them a text and be like, Hey, what's up? (laughs) (laughs) Still at it. You know? Still, still here. Eighteen years later, same, uh, same, like same aspect. But I guess I've shifted a little bit more in terms of like my love, my use patterns of it have shifted certainly. Um, But I still like think that it's a loving and giving plant that has so much. I mean, it's yeah. I mean, I won't get too woo woo because like whenever scientists get the woo woo, like you like. You know. All right. Yeah. Yeah. We get the scarlet letter. It's like, it's like, yeah. oh no, look, they're talking about the unquantifiable <laughs> over there. And it's like, you know, but it is unquantifiable to me the way that it makes me feel that it's a living plant mm-hmm. that produces something that, you know, we sacrifice to use as medicine. Like, and yeah. we've like cultivated it. I, I'm super excited. I'm growing it for the first time this year. So I'm really excited about that because I, I noticed that. Yeah, I was following on your social media. I'm really excited for you. That's that is that's awesome. awesome I think I'm going to I think I'm going to learn so much about I mean, it's something that I I have a lot of houseplants and stuff, but I I didn't try hard enough the one time that I tried to do it before. I also didn't have the time for it. I mean, like, I think it's going to take at least Mm -hmm. to learn it from in the beginning. I want to like learn, you know, I want to learn it. And yeah, if I'm I mean, I'm sure I'm going to learn a lot just from seeing it like actually happen like the plant's just so beautiful too like it is i i I love watching cannabis grow i mean i you know i'm a big gardener and everything else so i love plants in general but there is something about cannabis that it just it is a it is a pretty plant to watch to grow and then as it matures and the way it changes and the colors that come out and everything um you know the well, I guess I won't talk about the first time I ever grew. I don't know if that's safe to talk about, but... Um, we'll just all be here making assumptions. I, right, yeah. I um, have had great experiences growing cannabis. And um, I remember, I'll never forget the first time that I grew it. And it was just, it was just one of these things. I was like, golly, I just really love watching these plants grow. They change really fast. I mean, depending on... Um, on what you're doing and it, it's kind of totally different indoors versus outdoor. And I've kind of had that experience difference differential. Um, but it is, it's a really fun plant to grow. And then you stack on top of that, knowing how the end product is going to either affect yourself or other people. Um, you know, and that just makes it even the, the experience even richer, um, at that point. But even if you took all of that away, just as a plant itself, um, I I just I love it. I don't I don't know what it is. I mean, it's so giving. I feel like it's and I I think that's why too like I've been so grateful for in terms of sharing like more about like my personal journey with cannabis and mental health and mm-hmm. the science. Um but I think also like what I mean the science has been amazing to share because I love science too, but I think by yeah. far one of the best things that has come from me being more open and more visible about like just 
identity and journeying and everything has been meeting other people who feel that way about it because that is something that we share that is undeniably to me it's on the level of like religion it's on the level of religious community it's on i feel a kinship with you that we feel that way about Mm -hmm. it and i'm not saying i'm not trying to equate it or make any assumptions to other people about their own religions or their own spiritualities or anything i'm just saying that it helps me feel connected to you that we feel that same way and that that is a kinship. Like that's a, it's a level of community Mm -hmm. and closeness that I've been able to find um, through sharing cannabis science and cannabis and and how it is for me, you know? Yeah. Well, and I, I wonder too, like, will that, because that's my experience. And I wonder if for future generations, if it'll be the same, because one thing that I think about in terms of kind of the weight that, a relationship with cannabis carries is that for people that are uh, particularly in their 30s or older, you know, maybe some folks in their late 20s remember some of these days, but like when we were growing up, it was a pretty serious thing to decide to have a relationship with cannabis. Um, you know, a lot was not known that's known now in terms of, um, therapeutic applications and other things. Um, it was viewed even more taboo than it is now and, and riskier than, than it's considered now. And, you know, for like someone like myself growing up in Mississippi, where, you know, if you decide you want to have a relationship with cannabis, you're literally putting your whole life at risk yeah. um, to do that. And, and it's an expression of your genuine um, engagement with your life and your your time on this planet and trying to understand how to improve quality of life and navigate um, all sorts of different things related both to your your physical self and and ailments and pains and all of that sort of stuff, but then also um, exploring consciousness and and you know and those sort of aspects. And so for me, that's where some of that kinship comes from is knowing that. Um, you've gone through that sort of similar journey, even though it's different than mine, it, your connection to the plant stems from a very personal, um, authentic journey, you know, of just trying to get through life and understand your place here and everything. Um, and I, it's something I think about a lot. You know, I wonder after cannabis is really totally normalized, which I, we still have a long way to go. But once we get there, um, I wonder if, if people will still feel that same um, sort of kinship because I do think it, it carries a special weight today that, um, you know, is, is, is changing over time. Um, but it is something I think about. And I wanted to check in with you just to be respectful of your time. Are you good on time? Yeah, I got to take off here. Uh, in like, I know we've been going for an hour. Yeah, I got to take off here in like 10 minutes or something like that. But okay. this okay, has cool. been... Well, this we'll has definitely been, have to have a yeah, follow-up. Yeah, such cause... a good conversation. This is so cool. I know. And we haven't even actually gotten into your research oh. or anything yet. <laughs> yeah. So we've definitely got to do a part two because I want to actually um, dive into all of that and, and give you a chance to unpack you know, what you studied and where your head's at in terms of 
the endocannabinoid ohm. Yeah, I mean, that um, one will be, like, I, I'm really excited. I, like, did not expect us to talk about these topics, but I think that this is, like... Me neither. I did not plan yeah, this at Yeah, this all. is really... Yeah. But this is really nice. It's been a really good, like, and safe and open conversation for this to happen, which yeah. I'm super appreciative of because, like, it's, Im- Likewise, it's important. Yeah. And, like, I'm really excited that we're going to be able to share this with people and i think that i I, yeah i i don't know i love the way you put it that like your relationship with cannabis like when we chose to be that way it was like very different than Mm -hmm. what it is now and i don't know that's a really interesting question is it gonna be like how people in southern california like are used to good weather you know is it is it gonna be something like that where then like you just get used to it and it's just except which that's not necessarily a bad thing because the plant can help so many people that then the access to the plant you know Mm -hmm. helping so many people is is better but yeah i mean i feel like i feel like it definitely was a choice of it was the first choice out of all the choices that i made to live outside of what Mm -hmm. i should do or you yeah. know, like, yeah. should be done by, I don't know who the they even are. <laughs> Ev- but there's always everyone. a they. There's always, they're always there. <laughs> everyone. Um, yeah, let's, I want to schedule, yeah. well, I, I would love to talk about, like, my, I would love to talk about, like, my research, like, the trajectory and that kind of stuff, too. And I also would love to talk about the therapy thing, the educating therapist. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think that's super important. And I think that, like, we potentially could do a fun like wives like like a fun like I know I and I've been I've actually been um I've been trying to seed into her brain and like you ought to come on the podcast like you have an interesting perspective and she's kind of like well I'm not a cannabis person I don't know cannabis I was like but you know therapy and you know me and my you know like there's so much that I think would be really interesting to bring into the conversation um you know, from a perspective like that. So yeah, if your wife is into it, um, yeah, no one knows, <laughs> no one knows me like my wife. So yep, like, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I feel like it'll be fun. Actually, I'm doing, I'm going to do a, a live Q and a with my wife tonight about migraines. So we'll see how that goes and then go. Oh, and that was the other parallel. I think I told you like my, my wife has migraines and, and oh, I'm so, oh, I'm chronic sorry, debilitating okay. migraines and stuff, which so, I know I'm like, I'm talking about it excitedly, wait, but just because it's like no, crazy. I know that's parallels. great. We have, we have so much in common. So like, we're both like Aspie scientists and then like <laughs> our wives have migraines that work in the like mental health, psychology, neurodiversity field. Like it's, this has been really cool. I didn't know any of that before we connected either. I only knew you from the natural products side. Well, and that's, like, you know, um, again, this is also going back to what I said of like, I'm a hermit for a long time. Then I'm like, oh, I want to share my personal life. But what? And I'm going through an act. This is like active therapy for me this year is I'm trying to let people know who I am and like, you know, um, all of that sort of thing. So that's not unusual because <laughs> well, um, I've, I've well, I feedback. I love it. I love finding out who you are. So I hope, <laughs> likewise, I hope, likewise. yeah, I, I hope that that, like, I, I think that this is like such a cool combo and I'm really excited to do another one. Like, I, I don't know. I think that this, like, there's so many other things we talked for like a long time and I'm like, what did we even talk about? <laughs> I know. Yeah. And, and really, really important stuff. So yeah, we'll set up a, we'll set up another one after this and, and do part two and, and get into 
to all the other stuff. Um, no problem. And I, I know you need to run, but, um, you know, I guess I'll, I'll close out by just saying thank you so much for taking the time. And I know we've tried to connect. It's really been like over a year or so, but it, it sounds like you and I were both going through some pretty challenging periods of our lives over the past year and a half or so. And um, so everything happens in good time. So I'm glad that we did finally connect and our paths are crossed now. Um, I'm really excited to see what we do in the future. Yeah, I'm such a believer in that timing, like when the timing, when there's synchronicity around something yeah. like that, I sometimes I lean towards like time doesn't exist because it's a man-made construction of how, right. how like, you think about we space. Just, exactly, <laughs> like it's, it's, yeah. it's a metric that we invented. Um, I mean, and that's complicated because people are like, what do you mean time doesn't exist? I could wait 30 minutes and time has passed. And I'm like, yeah, but like, what does that mean? But that whenever something like this happens, when there's like so much synchronicity, I kind of just feel like it was meant to happen in the time yeah. that things are meant to happen. And I'm like, I, we wouldn't have had this conversation if we had connected exactly. earlier, yep. even though we've been connected for like, yeah, a while. Like we've been connected for a, like, we've been on each other's radars for a long time trying to like make yep. it meet up and make it happen. And, uh, no, I'm, I am so like feeling like this was the right time and that it was like a very synchronous, like event to come together. And I I'm excited. We'll, we'll do something again really soon. So thanks for having yeah. me on. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate it. And everyone listening, if you made it all the way to the end, um, I appreciate you as well. Thanks so much for tuning in and listening. And uh, yeah, consider this part one of however many parts we go. But um, this conversation will definitely be uh, to be continued. So um, with that, everybody, stay curious and take it easy. And I'll catch you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. If you're curious about cannabis like me, then get connected to the Curious About Cannabis ecosystem and let's learn together. Visit cacpodcast.com slash connect to join our learning community on our Discord server and you can participate in regular giveaways, dive into the latest cannabis research, connect with certified Curious About Cannabis educators, hang out in our break room with other curious minds and more. Best of all, it's totally free. Just visit cacpodcast.com slash connect to learn more or click connect on the Curious About Cannabis app, which is available on Android and coming soon to iOS.